Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Etco. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with those people who know those places best. And it's our last episode of the series, I know. Lucy. It's very sad. It's been, you know, we've been to LA, we've been to Manchester. Yeah, we've <laughs> been to Croatia. We've been to Croatia. Dubai. <laughs> Dubai. We've been so many places with so many brilliant people. Um, Chiang Mai last week. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and... We are ending the episode, uh, the season with a real bang, and you're about to fangirl, right, Lucy? Huge fangirling coming. Sorry, listeners. Um, yes, <laughs> we're ending with a bang because we're going to Rome, the Eternal yes, City. The Eternal City, and um, yeah, I mean, I know you've been, Lucy, right? Uh, yeah, I went early this year. In fact, after yes, I did yeah. Florence and Rome together, so I'm feeling it's really and actually, yeah. It's very fresh on my mind. Um, I'm yes. really sort of feeling very Roman at the moment. And so I'm super excited. How about you, James? Have you, you have been, of I, course you've been. Yeah, I have, yeah. Quite a few years ago. So back in 2015, I think, 2015. Um, uh and yeah, we just went for a long weekend, but really stands out in the memory of like yeah. such an uh, um, one of those kind of incredible cities where you dream about going, you think you know what it's like and stuff, and then you actually get there, and it is phenomenal. I mean, there's history on every step that you're taking, and you really you almost feel really small in the kind of grand scheme of everything that's ever happened to Rome. Uh, yes. It does not disappoint in the slightest. I think there's probably just nowhere else like Rome. It's sort of it's totally like nowhere else. And I'm sure that we'll talk about this with Maria, but it's that kind of Mm. mix of old and new, all of that history. Yeah, we talk about it a lot with so many cities, but old and new is exactly Rome. Yes, Yes. and just, I mean, food like nowhere else, drink like nowhere Mm -hmm. else, amazing art. I just love I well, as I said, I want to be Roman. (laughs) Um, It's going to be a great episode. Like Italy ticks so many boxes you've got like and the first one you think about is food but then you, when you add on add in everything else there with the history with architecture with everything else that you get in Rome it's just magical so yes who is going to and this is where you're going to fangirl who's going to discuss this magical city with us so we have today got Maria Born in Melbourne and now based in Rome, Maria Pasquale is an award-winning food and travel writer who writes for the likes of USA Today, CNN, Voders and The Telegraph. And she's also the author of I Heart Rome and my personal favourite, How to Be Italian. So welcome, Maria. Thanks so much, Lucy. Hey, James. Welcome, Maria. It's brilliant to have you on the podcast. Such an honour to have you on the podcast. And you're our final guest of the season as well. So, special um, guest. Yeah, it's very special guest. We've Save the very, best very for last. Have you <laughs> Absolutely, exactly. absolutely. Set the expectations <laughs> high. Um, so, uh, as usual, we're going to begin by with learning a little bit more about Maria, followed by the all-important recommendations on where to go and insider knowledge on this famous city. We'll then hear a little bit about how the city's changed recently and what we can look forward to in the future.
so Maria, what exactly drew you to Rome? Oh, I'm asked this question so many times and every time I say it out loud, it sounds so <laughs> cheesy and so corny, but I, I, fell, I fell in love with Rome. I fe- and people ask me all the time, did you fall in love with the Roman? Did you come here to study? Did you come here to work? And the answer was no. I did all that when I got here at different points of my time yeah. in Rome. But no, I fell in love with the city. My family had a very strong um, tie to Italy. My uh, Both of my parents were born in Italy, not in Rome, um, but I grew up as a, you know, a child of migrants in in Melbourne to two Italy-born parents who, um, you know, maintained a very Italian household overseas. And so we started travelling, I started travelling here as a young child and then through my 20s I would travel through Rome and cry every time I'd be on the way to the airport. And so it finally, you know, it took many years of, uh, you know, thinking about it and, uh, you know, almost leaving. And then I finally bit the bullet in 2011 and uh, moved over here. I thought for three months and it's been 11 years. So the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and what part of the city do you now live in? I live in Trastevere. I don't know if you guys know that part of the city. It's, uh, you know, often uh, described as uh, being on the left bank, you know, to use a Parisian term, which uh, (laughs) the Italians don't love because there's this always, you know, friendly rivalry between the Italian and the French. But it's, as we say, I mean, geographically, it sits on the left (laughs) bank of the Tiber River. And Trastevere, because that's the way you pronounce it, because it's a bit of a tongue, you know, tie for for so many people. Um, But it's... You know, it means in Latin, across the river, Trastevere, across the Tiber. Mm, I see, I see. Lovely. Um, and so, Maria, so you, you just circling back, you said that your your family, aren't, they aren't actually from Rome. Whereabouts in Italy are they from then? My family are from Abruzzo, which is a, a region, you know, east of, east of Rome. So the town from which my parents come from is a small town in the province of Aquila, and it's an hour and a half uh, east of Rome, uh, not on the Adriatic. We're in the mountainous area of uh, Abruzzo. And if you haven't been to Abruzzo or any of the listeners haven't been to Abruzzo, it's still one of those, you know, relatively green, and I say green in terms of tourism, um, one of those green areas of Italy that, uh, you know, for years we keep saying, oh, it's going to be the next Umbria, it's going to be the next Tuscany. And it still keeps just kind of rolling along in its own way. And I, I really, um, you know, I love when I hear positive stories about, um, you know, the people that finally get a chance to visit. Do you manage to get out there yourself much? I do. I have, uh, I still have family there. So being first generation Australian, um, my grandparents never emigrated. They've passed on now, but we have very mm. strong ties to Abruzzo. So my um, cousins, and, you know, a whole bunch of extended family still live there. So I usually spend East, I spend Christmas in Melbourne every year, but I spend Easter usually in Abruzzo and I try to get there a few times um, throughout the year. I mean, you know, in summer it's great, in winter it's extremely cold, but especially for an Australian girl. Um, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great place to eat. It's, you know, Abruzzo kind of has everything. I know we're here to talk about Rome, but it has <laughs> the mountains, the lakes, the, you know, the old medieval towns. And it's, it is a really gorgeous part of, um, you know, my memories, my first memories of Italy are of small town Abruzzo. And that's what I, you know, I keep saying, you know, one day kind of just fell in love with um, that contrast and that difference of, uh, you know, being a small girl in Italy, so different to Australia. And I knew one day I'd live here. I was, I was going to say, well, it's a running theme of like of guests we've had on the pod where we've talked about big Italian cities and actually like, um, you know, just outside, not very far away is the rest of Italy. And you really can't go wrong with a, with a lot of Italy too. Um, uh, but I was, I was just going to say, like, obviously... Um, uh, you talked about that kind of love affair with Rome, the fact that you like cried every time you left and stuff and made that jump. What do you love most about the city? If you could like kind of summarise it, and I know that's difficult. <laughs> oh, it is. It's always so hard to distill really. But, um, you know, Rome has this magnificent way of getting under your skin. I mean, I, mm. and, and I'm sure this is the same about many cities of, um, you know, the ancient world in a sense. But, you know, it has this magnificent ability to make you feel a part of the present and the past and the future at the same time. I mean, I remember as a young, you know, almost adolescent traveling through Rome and driving past the Colosseum and seeing Romans just walking past it without, you know, completely nonchalant, like, you know, and I think, (laughs) well, the Colosseum is standing like right there and it's been standing there for over 2000 years. How can you not stop in wonder? And now that I live here, I mean, there are times where you do that. You go about your daily business and you kind of turn around and the Pantheon's there, the Colosseum's there. But, you know, Rome is a great city of contrasts and contradictions. It's, um, you know, it's layer upon layer of history, of architecture, of culture, of, you know, and now this modern lifestyle that, you know, always sits 
juxtaposed to this, um, you know, magnificent history of, uh, you know, triumphs, mm. tragedies, popes, gladiators, mm. emperors, all of that. And so you kind of feel small in that mm. largeness, I guess, in a sense, but it, it's a beautiful feeling that kind of makes you feel alive. There's something epic about it. It is epic. I suppose epic. people must feel that way about New York because New York is, you know, in its its own metropolis. But Rome, as exactly as you're saying, Marie, it's all of that history. And I love that description of sort of past, present and future. There is something truly epic and kind of awesome and like no other place about it. I'm going to steal that word, Lucy. It is epic. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those places. I, I mean, the New York comparison, actually, Lucy, is quite bang on where I think, you know, you, it's such a cultural kind of like point in history and, and, and place where so many things have happened and everyone has their own imagination of what it's like until you actually visit it. And and I thought, Marie, you kind of hit the nail on the head as well, where you talk about the kind of modern modernity of the city, too. And that that's what kind of surprised me when I when I went there was like how modern it was and how that sits along. You've literally got like a wall full of like inscriptions and so on next to, I don't know, a H&M. I don't know if that actually exists, but that, that that's kind of what I remember and just being really surprised by that. And like, um, you know, it's a fully functioning city with this incredible, incredible history that just sits on. Which often makes it such a complex city to manage. And I'm not mm -hmm. here to defend any political. <laughs> politi political realm that manages um, this city or attempts to. But, you know, there have been so many occasions over the years where, you know, local constructors, you know, try to dig to keep, you know, extending the metro line and, you know, and they literally keep coming across, you know, new archaeological pieces and sites and yeah. things that mm. have never been discovered before. And again, that leads to, you know, not a very popular delay for the people that live here. But it is what it is. It just uh, it's part and parcel mm. of living you know, as we've said, in a modern city in this current era of a city that has been standing for thousands of years. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, we can't uh, uh, let you sort of get away without talking a little bit about your two wonderful books. And I kind of wanted to uh, sort of firstly talk about I Heart Rome, because that's what we're here to talk about. But that's all <laughs> like kind of recipes with history. And can you tell us a little bit about how you how, how do you well firstly how do you go about collating roman food <laughs> and you know how do you kind of wait, well just where do you start really <laughs> where does one start and that's the exact question i asked myself as soon as i signed the contract i was like well that's all good and well that i wanted to write this book and now i actually have to write it so it's always as a writer or as a creative i'm sure you guys have those moments as well oh wow now i have to do it um i heart rome came out i mean i began writing it in 2016 but you know, I began writing it, I say that, but, you know, it's been years in the making in a sense because I've um, been talking to, you know, Romans and all those, I guess, those stories that I wanted to tell that are in the book are of people who are the custodians of Roman cuisine. They're those people that work tirelessly mm -hmm. every day to maintain, protect and share those traditions that we hold on to so tightly in Rome and, and across Italy, of course. Um, the book came out in 2017. My publisher is Smith Street Books in Melbourne and had a huge distribution network around the world. So I was very um, happy with uh, how that went. And it was interesting because during the pandemic, sales spiked again because so many people were cooking yeah. at, yes, at home. And because of that... Cooking, cooking and dreaming about going that's to places correct. like Rome. And that's correct. And look, and that's been the beauty of this book is that it kind of combines my two loves. It's not just food, but it's travel as well. And so... You know, we talk so often about armchair travel, and I think that I Heart Rome for me um, was a way to share my love of the city. It's a love letter to, to Rome, and it also shares, like I said, these stories of these um, custodians of Roman cuisine. So it has about 70 mm. recipes, and they're not my recipes. Mm. As I said earlier, I'm not from Rome. My family's not from Rome, so I um, would never have even dreamt of writing, you know, Roman food recipes not being Roman. Um, so I collated those recipes and they're a collection of them from Rome's chefs and butchers and, you know, Roman friends and, um, you know, the most prominent bakery in the city has given me their recipe for pizza bianca, pizza rossa and all of these wonderful baked treats. And the beauty of I Heart Rome is that it's actually just been uh, redesigned, revamped 
and will be released um, again worldwide in February under a new title, which I still can't reveal, I'm told, but a new okay. a new title and, uh, you know, a complete new look. So they've given it a complete new, um, you know, a rebirth. Cool, that's fantastic. And I imagine you've had to, had to use that as an excuse to do a bit more research, right? That's right. <laughs> I had to go out there and eat everything again just to check that it, oh. just to check that it was all in order it's a tough job but someone's got to <laughs> <Exactly>. do it exactly <laughs> and then maria obviously then how to be italian is all about sort of italian culture at large and for anyone like me who's just obsessed with you know wanting to be italian this is an amazing starting point was it fun to sort of widen the lens from rome and write something that's more encompassing and i suppose is getting under the skin more of a of a wider culture Oh, it was. And it just felt like such a natural step for me. Um, so many of the things I wrote, I can, you know, you often think when you know something, when you live something and have been born into something, you think, gosh, is that interesting? Is that fascinating? Even though I, you know, I've always known as we, I guess we could all say, um, you know, the world is enamored with Italy and Italians and yeah. the Italian lifestyle. And I knew that that would be something of interest. And especially during the pandemic, because it came out just late last year, I wrote it, um, you know, throughout the year of uh, 2020. Um, while I was in lockdown in Melbourne, which, um, you know, which was extremely challenging creatively. But, you know, Italy, and it's come back with a vengeance, as we might talk about later on, I know, mm. in terms of tourism. But, you know, the, the thirst that people have for travel, you know, has not been... Um, you know, has not been extinguished by the pandemic. As we know, people were so desperate to get back to Italy. It was one of the hardest hit nations, at least initially. So I think so many of us had Italy in our hearts, um, you know, especially in that emergency phase. And so the book is a celebration. Um, for me, again, it's, um, yeah, like I said, a celebration, really, a celebration of all the things that we love about Italy. I mean, you know, the country is not perfect. No country is, but um, you know, but by gosh, you know, so many aspects of it are. It's, it's really true. Like I, you kind of almost forget really those early months of the pandemic, like how bad, uh, mm. how badly it, Italy was affected and how much that kind of stood out to the world in terms of the danger of dangers of coronavirus. But lots of, um, yeah, I, I remember lots of the reaction just being this kind of like outward, uh, just basically everyone's speaking about how much they love Italian culture, how much they love the Italian way of doing things. And then the, the loads of celebratory web articles, magazines, blah, 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 spread, mm. um, newspaper features, just outpouring of love for Italy. And I think your book really perfectly, perfectly kind of encapsulates like some of the good side of that moment in a way, in a way the kind of Italian in us all. Thank <laughs> you so much. All, Thank so, you so yeah. much. You know, queuing and mobilising and being organised are just unfortunately not um, part of the Italian DNA. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> We're uh, recording this just after this giant queue in London. <laughs> exactly. And, the and I have to say, um, you know, the Italian press has been, uh, you know, they've just incredulously <laughs> look on saying, you know, the Queen has been honoured, you know, the only way the English know how by lining up because it's so, it's so not an Italian thing and uh, you know to see those Italians mobilize you know not in terms of um, the Italian DNA kissing touching hugging um, of all of those things that I think are part of most cultures but you know the Italians are very um, you know it's very visible here and it's um, you know touch mm. is so important and uh, I think the way the Italians mobilised, they really did give, uh, at least in my opinion, and I write about this in the book, you know, um, examples of uh, resilience and real strength of character. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you very much for that. And we will now delve into some of your recommendations on where to go in Rome. So we're going to, to kick off our round of what to do in Rome. We're going to do a quick fire tour of the city, um, naming a couple of categories that you, Maria, just have to suggest just one thing to do. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, I'm going to kick off by asking you for your favourite thing to see in the city. Oh, the Pantheon. Without a doubt. Mm. Yeah. Why? What is it about? I mean, I could talk about the Pantheon for 10 minutes, but we're not here to listen to you. We're here to listen to Maria. Maria, what is it about the Pantheon that, that it's, is so special? The Pantheon, it's grandeur. It, it's it's magnificent. It's mm. um, the only uh, monument and building we have in Rome that is, uh, that, you know, it remains completely intact uh, from, you know, the empire. It's uh, 
it's, it is it is just magnificent. You feel so small um, and, you know, standing next to it. And the thing I love about it is, you know, obviously it's in the same place. It always has been. It doesn't move, but you yeah. kind of move through the city and then there are times where you're just going to, you know, turn a corner and it's just kind of there. It's just so imposing. Yeah. And and the dome is just incredible. Like it looks, it looks like it could be a piece of a modern architecture, that dome how it's sort of supported mysteriously, it's stunning. Well, it does. And I, I do often compare it as, you know, so many archeologists and architects and historians do to the, you know, like the pyramids of Giza. I mean, to this day, architects and engineers still can't, you know, aren't able to replicate the, um, you know, the unsupported dome that is the Pantheon. And then the oculus, people often don't know that the oculus, the round mm. part at the top is open. Um, and so it does rain inside the Pantheon and it's just, you know, the engineering of that, you know, it doesn't flood. I mean, you know, these are, yeah. you know, Romans of, um, you know, in like incredible uh, prowess and intelligence that, um, you know, have created a monument of such that has lasted all these years. The Pantheon, hands down, my favourite monument in the city. Excellent. That's incredible. I didn't know it could rain in the Pantheon. That's, uh... I didn't know that for many years. Um, and I often thought, to be quite honest, I really thought it was an urban myth. <laughs> so, and I, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'd read about it and people have said it to me and I've seen, you know, some images and I just thought, no, that can't be real. And it actually is. So next time you're in Rome, go and check that out yeah there's something to do on a rainy day yeah, yeah quite literally <laughs> um so then marie your favorite thing or place to drink oh gosh okay well there's a couple of places i'll try and quickly fit them in drink kong in rome um by patrick pistolesi who is an irish roman bartender he's one i mean i can't list them for you but has won probably you know all kinds of bar tending awards and it is for real mixologists drink kong um is fantastic and that's just in the uh, Monty neighborhood, not far from the Colosseum. And yeah. it has, you know, really cool interior and neon lights. And like I said, the cocktails are just uh, incredible. Um, and they match it with, a, you know, an international menu of food, um, you know, dumplings and lobster rolls and all of those sorts of things that some people might not be expecting to eat when they come to Rome. But uh, Drink Kong has really given the, uh, you know, the food and drink platform in Rome, this international hit, which, uh, you know, at least for us living here, um, you know, so desperately needed. The other place, Remessa Roscioli, for anyone looking for wine in the city. Roscioli is um, a very, you know, household name in this city. Um, they have the most, uh, one of the most important bakeries and salumeria restaurants. So a place where you go and eat cold meats and mm -hmm. wine. And so either Salu um, Roscioli restaurant or Remessa Roscioli, where you can go and do a wine tasting, which I'm sure, um, you know, most people won't forget. <laughs> I did actually go, I did go there uh, when there was a wine tasting. I went for dinner and sadly I wasn't part of the wine tasting and I thought I need to come back for that wine tasting because they, 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 the sommeliers clearly really knew their stuff. It was, and it, the meal, the pasta was delicious. Well, you'll have to come back, Lucy. And the thing is, you mentioned that, you know, the sommeliers, they really are um, wonderfully travelled and talented and they really do um, get out of Rome and travel through the entire country. I mean, they have, um, I think, over two and a half thousand uh, labels uh, there at the, um, in their uh, cantina. So mm. you definitely must get there. Wow. Amazing. So, okay. This is a horrible one. Okay. Maria. You've written a whole book. You've written a whole book about this. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thing <laughs> to eat. Oh. No, actually that's easier than you think. Carbonara. Yeah, I, I say to people, if you haven't eaten, if you haven't eaten a carbonara in Rome, you have never eaten a carbonara. And I'm sorry that that's <laughs> going to disappoint a lot of people, but it's the truth. I say it to everyone that comes to Rome because there are so many, um, you know, installments of the carbonara outside of Rome. And, you know, I mean, generally Italy, mm. Italian cuisine, which is not a homogenous cuisine, but let's say Italian cuisine is one of the most replicated and imitated around the world. Um, and, and it's often got wrong as well. And right? it is, and it is. <laughs> And, and then yeah. that's okay. I always say, as long as people are having fun, I mean, you know, sometimes we take food a little bit too seriously, but carbonara, on the other hand, it does not have no, it doesn't have onion. It doesn't have mushrooms. It doesn't have garlic. It does not have cream under any circumstance. <laughs> yep. Yep. And yep, people, I've and I've, I've sat with friends and family who are eating it in Rome and it's so silky and creamy. And they say, are you sure it doesn't? Have, and I'm like, yes, it, no cream. It doesn't have it. No cream. Magic. The magic of a, of Italian, of a, Magic of Italy, how do they do it? Um, yes, they're magic. Magicians. Yeah. I mean, what, what does make that silkiness? Is it the kind of cheese and the 
the water or is it? It's the water. It's the, wa- yeah. the pasta water, which we call aquapazza, you know, often in Italy, which means crazy water because it's, you know, almost, it almost is magic. Um, but the, look, I think it's just practice as well. I often say, you know, yeah. pra- practice makes perfect. Um, carbonara, you often, you know, it's the eggs in Rome that, mm. uh, you know, also quite important, the quality of the guanciale that you use. The guanciale is the pork cheek or the pork mm-hmm. jowl. Um, our equivalent of bacon, I guess, but so much better than bacon. Um, Not not pancetta. There are recipes with pancetta, which is the, you know, from the pork belly. But I think that, you know, those ingredients come together with um, that, you know, salty, creamy, silky mix of the water that has been, like I said, mixed with the egg and cheese mixture in it. Um, you know, look, it, it, it's it's a technique that takes, like I said, a lot mm. of practice. A chef once said to me in Rome many years ago when I first interviewed, um, started my interviews in my own work, said to me, carbonara is a lot like life. And it reminded me of, you know, the fact that Italians relate food is life initially. And he said to me, yeah. carbonara is a lot like life. If you're not watching, you'll stuff it up. So, you know, because <laughs> if it's sitting on the flame for too long, it can easily and very quickly become scrambled eggs. And, yeah. uh, you yes. know, you need to be super careful. Yes. Whenever I've attempted to make it, and I think actually I've really butchered it, it's always like scrambled <laughs> eggs, pasta with scrambled eggs. So I, I need to practice. It's, it's a craft, as you say. It's an art and a craft. It is. My trick My trick is to mix it off the flame. So try that mix next time. Mix it off the flame. Try that. Yeah. Is, is, is there one particular place where someone should go for a carbonara? I'd like to say Da Enzo in Trastevere, uh, although most people who know um, of the this you know age-old trattoria, which is my favourite, will know that you just you have to line up, unfortunately, and it takes forever. But it is absolutely worth it. You know, cool. this is where our queuing expertise comes in. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you won't exactly all the Brits listening are like, no problem, Maria. Yeah, we'll happily yeah, join we'll that queue. No, it's you a... won't. You won't have a problem. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So the next question, Maria, is your favourite day activity in Rome? Oh, I would say, look, you know, getting lost in one of the neighbourhoods. Um, obviously, I'm quite biased. Trastevere is the neighbourhood that I live in. And it, it really is this most beautiful part of the city. Like I said, it sits on the left bank of the, the Tiber River, just south of the Vatican. It's, you know, during the day, it, it's this, um, you know, it has this beautiful spirit of community and you feel like you're in this little village. Everybody knows each other. There are a lot of pedestrian areas where cars aren't allowed in. It's the classic, you know, if you Google image Trastevere, you will see scenes of a Roman film. I mean, that's that's almost what it looks like. They are backdrops to you know, scenography of, uh, of films because it's the ivy hanging off buildings and the cobblestone streets and a Fiat 500 parked somewhere or a Vespa <laughs> zooming past and people eating during the day at a trattoria. And this, you know, I mean, it's it really is. It's one of the most picturesque neighbourhoods of the city and the very reason for, you know, Romans loving the neighbourhood and coming here to drink and eat in the evenings. Um, sadly, there are a lot of tourist uh, restaurants in this neighbourhood, but if, you you know, you dig deep and... Um, you know, I, I do believe that there are a number of quality uh, places to eat still in the neighbourhood. So it is a great place to come and spend your evenings even. Fantastic. Excellent. Brilliant. And this also might be a difficult one given the city we're talking about, but your favourite museum or gallery? Oh, also very hard. Um, you know, there are hundreds of them in Rome. I love spending, and that would be my, you know, if I was allowed to say two things I love during the, during the day. So Trastevere would be one. And yes, galleries and museums um, on a Sunday, which I love. Um, I, look, a couple that quick couple that I often recommend are um, um, gallery, the gallery, Galleria Spada, which um, is not far from Piazza Navona, and there is um, this Borromini optical illusion. So um, I won't give too much away, but that's something that I really recommend, especially for those who are looking to even perhaps you know they're coming to Rome on a second or third time they've seen the bigger museums galleria spada is definitely one i recommend and also galleria doria panfili which has rome's largest private art collection and the gallery of uh, mirrors is inspired by versailles and you'll find you know uh, opera masterpieces by raffaello you know um, guido reni caravaggio so they're probably the two i would recommend away from the big ones excellent Excellent. Great. Well, this marks the end of the quickfire round. Well done, Maria. <laughs> that's a, and that's a really, really, if you listen to one guide on Rome, that is, that is all you really need to know. But yeah, we've got a bit more. 
So then, Maria, let's move on to some highlights that listeners shouldn't miss. Oh. Do you have a few? Re- I know that's really hard. We're talking here. We'll move on to sort of more kind of hidden gems, but sort of of the the key sites. If someone was coming to Rome, what what would you say they shouldn't miss? Oh, look, you know, for first time visitors, uh, and it can be daunting. Uh, Rome really is um, such a maze of of history and architecture and there is so much to see but look I wouldn't miss the the main monuments if it's your first time um, you just can't go past them the Colosseum the Vatican um, the Pantheon that historical center which is quite compact to walk around mm-hmm. although at mm-hmm. the end of the day you will realize that you have actually walked way more than you think but yes. it is quite compact in that you know I, de- I usually don't recommend Rome is not a city for an, you know a hop on hop off bus because unfortunately, you know, buses cannot get into the historical centre. So, you know, that could be a mode of transport perhaps to get you from the Colosseum to the Va- or the Vatican. But the historical yeah. centre is so packed full of rich cultural monuments and historical gems. Um, you know, I definitely wouldn't miss it. The Spanish Steps, um, you know, the main shopping districts as well, the Trident area for, you know, your design shopping or street shopping. Mm. The centre, the historical centre is not to be missed. Is one of those like cities that you know you often walk into the middle of a big city and you find it's incredibly touristic and like like almost impossible to think. But you just seeing that history it just distracts you from everything else. Mm. It's a you know you can't miss it. You can't yeah you can't help but feel a kind of atmosphere there. And almost like you know there's ton. I remember being there and there being tons and tons of people around but everyone's quieter than they, they often are and actually people are quite reverential to the buildings around them so yeah i do think you just have to walk you have to explore um, you do uh, it's a walking city it, it really is mm. a walking city absolutely and as you've hit on as well maria often they're not yes you've got the coliseum and um, the forum etc but i found it amazing how i just round a corner and there would be a ruin or there would be an ancient column literally sort of a, a, each way you turn the city really is filled with history and that i just find that amazing it just sort of blows my mind it is amazing i walked through the jewish ghetto another part of the city mm-hmm. that i um highly recommend but i walked through the other day and then out into a small square and there were you know young roman children kicking a soccer ball around and so rome you know away from being this uh, you know as we said earlier you know this modern day metropolis you still manage to find these little corners and, um, you know, uh, pockets of the city that give you these glimpses and tastes of real Roman life. Yeah, incredible. Love it. So on the sort of flip side of that, what are Rome's best kept secrets? Obviously, those that you're willing to share with us. I'm sure you have some that, you know, you don't want letting slip. They're just yours. Just mine, because no one's listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't tell. No, that's right. Let's not tell anyone. I think, look, seeing Rome from above, I think, is one of my favourite things to do. Um, Mm. And, you know, we're so fortunate in Rome that there have been this, you know, spate of uh, rooftop bars that have opened over the last um, few years. So, um, Mm. you know, and some of them are giving access to the city. There is one located in the Piazza Navona area. And until recently, unless you had friends who owned, you know, a noble palace in that area, you really would not have access to that sort of view. And so, um, and that one's called Terrazza Boromini. And um, and even if they are listening, I will say, I don't think the service is fantastic. I don't think the cocktails are fantastic. <laughs> but you know what? Like you said, James, you know, the city's packed and then you see the monument and you don't care. It's exactly the same for Terrazza yeah, Boromini. Yeah, yeah. I go there all the time and, uh, you know, the view is is breathtaking. It really is. You have, um, you look down at Piazza Navona, you know, this bird's eye view, which is uh, spectacular. And there are a number of others. Um, there's the court in Rome where, you you know, you could feel like you could touch the Colosseum and it's the only bar in Rome with unobstructed views of the Colosseum, um, NH collection at the Fori Imperiali, which um, has a view of the um, the wedding cake, as most people call it, the monument to Vittorio Emanuele yes. II um, of, in Piazza Venezia, and the Roman Forum spreads out before your very eyes as well. So that's what I usually do and what I love taking, you know, where I love taking friends and family when they visit. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing, some other, I guess, architectural gems are probably my favourite in Rome, the things that people don't expect. So mm. um, the Colosseo Quadrato, which is the square 
Colosseum, and it's uh, one of our finest examples of fascist architecture um, mm. in Rome. And it's located in the Eur neighbourhood, and uh, Fendi, I believe, have recently um, taken over that building. But it's a, a building that you can go and visit. It has a museum, and it's this. If you anyone, you know, I know we're not doing visual on this podcast, but you could go and have a look at this. And it um, it has the arches of the Colosseum, but it's this modern day. Um, concrete interpretation, which kind of doesn't sound okay. that be beautiful, but, um, you know, very fascinating. And then Copede is another district of the city in uh, Rome's Trieste neighbourhood in northern Rome. And it's this almost um, Gaudi-esque uh, fairy tale, um, you know, villas named after fairies, it's, uh, fairies and, you know, 40 odd buildings and villas that, um, you know, you can kind of get lost in. And that's a great neighbourhood to to walk around. I think the neighbourhoods is a great way to explore Rome a little bit out of the historical centre. Absolutely. Brilliant. That's really, really, really good shout. And so then whilst we're talking then about kind of being outside of the historic centre, we sort of touched on this earlier when we were talking about your family, Maria, but what is there to do sort of um, outside of the city itself, sort of in the surrounding areas for you know, do you have any recommends for sort of day trips, for example? Look, you know, Lazio as a region, so Lazio is the region that, you know, Rome mm. sits within and um, is the capital of, um, aside from being the capital of the country, of course, and it's a relatively unknown region outside of Rome because, you know, most foreigners who do visit, um, you know, they do, they know the regions of Tuscany and Piemonte and uh, mm. Sicily yeah. perhaps now, you know, getting a bit more adventurous heading down south. And But Lazio has some incredible coastline, which um, I was even surprised many years ago to discover and, you know, or uncover. Um, the Sperlonga beaches and Terracina and Gaeta, which is an old medieval, um, you know, fishing village. Uh, that's about an hour and a half, and not even, or less than two hours away from Rome. And then you have the Pontine Islands, uh, Ponza and Ventotene and Palmarola. And, you know, they're often dubbed, um, you know, the Maldives or the Caribbean of Italy, you know, and look, the waters there are quite spectacular. Um, so there are those, I mean, that's probably not a day trip, but that's a great um, mm, yeah. getting out of Rome for a couple of days if you're planning on, you know, staying close to the capital. Then you have Ostia Antica, which has the, um, you know, the yeah. uh, you know another ancient ruins and a wonderful archaeological site. Um, and then, yeah. you know, the wine country, the Castelli Romani, um, which is where we go to drink uh, wine and eat porchetta all day long. So... That's perfect. Another so great. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> would, it, uh, would it be a day trip if food and wine wasn't involved, of course? Of course so. not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's a brilliant introduction of kind of lots, well, lots of things to do in Rome. Brilliant introduction to the city. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about Rome at present and, and, and the very near future as well. An eternal city fusing ancient wonders with a modern metropolis, Rome brings history to life like nowhere else. And whether you want to wander through the ruins of the Roman Forum, gaze up at the spectacular ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, or taste the world-famous food in the markets of Campo de Flori, your Decal Witness travel guide makes sure you experience all that Rome has to offer. Get your copy of Decal Witness Rome wherever you get your books or find it via the link in our episode bio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So Maria, we, you sort of alluded to uh, sort of Italy and Rome and the impacts of the pandemic, etc., and, and that how the book kind of came out of that. How has Rome actually changed in recent times? Well, look, I can tell you that this summer has been, um, you know, tourism has come back with a vengeance as it has across mm. Italy. Uh, August, which is traditionally the time uh, for Romans to head out of the city, 
um, to have their annual holidays. You know, that took place this year. So there were no Romans in Rome, but it was full of tourists. And, um, you know, which is great to see the city has been, you know, like so many big cities in the world, it's been, you know, craving for that tourist to come back. And look, for the most part, I mean, as has, you know, taken place across the world, I mean, you know, most restrictions aren't in place. Um, you know, all of those COVID mask wearing is, mm. you know, I guess on public transport, we still have mask wearing or in a taxi. But other than that, I mean, you really wouldn't know that anything had even happened around here, to be honest, um, which after, yeah. you know, two and a half, I should say, or, you know, very long years for, for Italy, for the world, um, for Rome, you know, especially the hospitality industry and the tourism sector, extremely thrilled to have this, what, you know, most uh, news outlets are coining, you know, revenge travel. And so, so many people have, have come back with a vengeance. And um, I think that Rome has uh, bounced back. Uh, I think globally we're mm. seeing, um, you know, an unfortunate uh, staff shortage and, you know, a lack of service in a number of areas. And, you know, Rome, like any big city of the world, is not immune to that. Um, I'm really hoping that that kind of irons itself out over the, you know, next year or two, which I do believe that it will take another couple of years for, you know, tourism to really uh, settle. We're going to see, I think, you know, peaks and troughs over the next couple of years. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, uh I think one thing the pandemic did, and we talked about this earlier, is like, you know, people wrote their bucket lists. They did the, uh, they they sort of really fought long and hard about where they wanted to go next. And it does seem like Rome, you know, we've got two guidebooks to Rome. We've got um, uh, top ten Rome and, and Decay Witness Rome as well, and and both of them been flying off the shelves this summer um uh you know outselling most other major cities around the world and i think that's really lovely to see in a way i think i think rome just has that romance that people really missed and really you know it's that kind of atmosphere that you know and the buzz that you get from traveling to a really special place yeah and and also maria i think to your point earlier about that timelessness of rome it's something obviously we've been through something tragic but there's something about rome that you just feel like rome has had such a long history and i think mm. it's probably got a, an enormous future in front of it there's something about rome that you feel like rome will always be there and that's reassuring it is and you know no accident that it's uh, you know called the eternal city that is the very reason because yeah. rome is mm. It's continuous, it's forever, and it's, um, you know, it's always been here and it always will be here. And I think that, that for us, yeah. uh, all of us, our generation, for everyone that has lived the past uh, two or three years, I mean, if for any anything, we've been craving an anchor of some sort and a city like yes. Rome. I mean, I myself, mm. who am, you know, I'm a travel, like I travel for pleasure, I travel for work. Um, it's my, uh, you know, my one you pure pleasure in life as it is for most people you know and during those years of or months of lockdown um i kept craving you know big cities even though i'd kind of yes. moved away a little mm. bit from the big cities but you know like london new york rome uh, paris because they are they're the constants they're the classics and you anchor to them it's yes. life at its fastest isn't it and sometimes slowest absolutely <laughs> but you know in times of uncertainty i think that rome really does offer this sense of comfort um, and it has, it has for me at least, you know, you walk around the city and as things have slowly come back to normal, I mean, you know, up until recently, before at least the summer, there were, you know, queues everywhere and my local cheese store, you know, there's small spaces and people are still respecting distancing and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, if it wasn't for that, you kind of do, you walk around these old streets and you think, gosh, you know, if these walls, walls could talk, um, you know, they could tell yeah. so many stories and they will continue to. Yeah. So for, I'm, I'm sure most listeners are desperate to go to Rome, but Maria, you will have absolutely sold Rome to them even more. Um, can you recommend a particular time when they should come? You, you hit on earlier, um, you know, tourists, an influx of tourists over the summer. A shoulder season's better. What, what would you recommend? When's the best time for people to go? Look, up until a few years ago, or at least pre-pandemic, we used to have the off-season, which I would always recommend. But, you know, that's kind of changed. Mm. And, you know, with the, um, you know, travel being, you know, so uh, relatively accessible to so many more people, people are coming, you know, to Rome all year round, or at least travelling to Italy all year round. I do recommend, and at least anyone who experienced summer in Italy this year, it was um, excruciatingly hot and we had unseasonably, uh, you know, unseasonable and worrying um, high temperatures and high humidity. Mm. Mm. I really wouldn't recommend, um, you know, July or August uh, personally. 
Um, and also because of the closures, you know, so many Romans do go away, businesses do close. That's in August, um, you know. So even though there's a wonderful summer program in the city, summer is always, you know, summer, summer. And, I, you know, as much as I say that to people, it doesn't really kind of deter them. Um, I think uh, spring and autumn for me are probably the most wonderful times of the year. So October, November is a gorgeous time to visit Rome and you really do see that um, season change and, um, you know, and we do we eat, eat seasonally, getting back to food. You know, I love like autumn mm. in, uh, in Italy and in Rome and as the menus on blackboards start to change, it's a, a wonderful time of year. And also Christmas. I think that Christmas in the city, the 8th of December, the lights turn on and the whole city kind of comes uh, alive with all the Christmas trimmings. And um, I think that that's another great time of year to visit. I, I, yeah, I, I was going to touch on Christmas because a couple of years ago, I commissioned an article about like the best Christmas markets in Europe. And I was pretty almost surprised that Rome came back. You know, you think of your Christmas markets as being Germanic and Scandinavian, etc. But, the you know, the uh, the market and Piazza Navona and like um, across there, the lights just look incredible. And it looks like quite a unique atmosphere as well. It does. And look, it doesn't snow in Rome. So you kind of still have this mild mm. winter weather, which is lovely for walking around and, um, you know, really getting to enjoy the city. And the, uh, funny you mentioned the Piazza Navona Christmas market because it actually had um, stopped for a couple of years, of course, for obvious mm. reasons, but it is back. I've just had mm. confirmation this week. So that will Fantastic. be back on this year. And so you can, you know, walk through Piazza Navona. They have a carousel and, you know, families and, uh, you know, people are just walking around around eating fairy floss and all of that sort of stuff. Lovely. Fantastic. Um, well, that's that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. And, um, you know, uh, speaking of Christmas and looking sort of even further afield, are there any kind of events that you're kind of looking forward to, any particular festivals or particular times of year that anyone should visit for? Look, as I mentioned, the Summer Festival really is a great um, program of events that, uh, you know, the Roman, um, a number of Roman associations and the Roman Council uh, initially began many years ago for those Romans who couldn't afford to leave the city uh, during the August holiday period. So, you know, along the river, you'll have stands and uh, music, you'll have outdoor cinema. Uh, a number of parks come alive with, you know, whether it be a wine festival, a beer festival, um, you know, and all those sorts of uh, wonderful summer activities, live music, etc. You know, for sporting fans, we have the uh, Rome International Tennis in May and a number of other sporting events throughout mm. the year. And uh, I, I love Carnevale. That's probably one of my favourite times of the year, Carnival, you know, which Mardi Gras, whatever people call it outside of Italy. But, you know, that period of Lent uh, just in the lead up to Easter. And, of course, I love it because of the sweets. So you have... <laughs> <laughs> and this is the beautiful thing about, you know, about Rome and about Italy in terms of its food customs. They're so tied to, to history and to culture that... You know, for Father's Day, we have a special suite in in Italy. Um, you know, at Christmas, we eat special treats and the same at Easter and the same during Carnival. And, you know, there really is a, a time of year where we haven't found an excuse to eat something. So <laughs> Carnival is probably my favourite. Which also means that no visit is, a, is the same, right? You can find, you know, you talked about the seasonality of food and stuff before, spread out across the year, uh, do multiple visits, right? Absolutely. I think your visit can change, even if you were to follow just the seasonality, like you said, of, of the mm. food. I mean, I think the market, which is such a cornerstone of Italian food culture, and I always say to people, you could tell, I could tell what season it is, even if I didn't know, just by walking into one of the local neighbourhood markets, because you, just the colour of, um, you know, the produce, yeah. you can kind of tell if it's autumn mm. or, or spring or the summer fruit have come out so yeah every visit to rome can be different so which is great so in summary whenever whenever <laughs> whenever just exactly exactly <laughs> we should have just said that from the beginning and just saved ourselves a whole lot of time never <laughs> never not a good time to visit rome really <laughs> we'll just cut the episode just to that bit <laughs> exactly that's, that's so visit rome okay. any day um, of the week <laughs> Well, I mean, I wish we had like much more time Me because too. Maria, we could we could talk to you all day. I mean, um, it's such a stunning city to talk about. Such a uh, you know, I think I'd speak for Lucy, where I'm like itching to go back already. But also, what a fantastic way for us to end our series as well. So, thank you once Huge, again. Thank you. thank you so much. It's a crazy special city, as I always uh, say, and I look forward to welcoming you in Rome for a carbonara very soon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Maria. Let's do it. Let's do it. That would be that would be wonderful. Booking my flight. 
huge thanks to Maria. I genuinely feel like I'm on a bit of a, a bit of a high. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was just loved that so much. Obviously loved Rome already, but Maria really, really did Rome justice. I think we can all agree. I mean, it's the end of the day here, and I feel like I've I've got a spring in my step just from yeah. discussing Rome. So, yeah, an enormous thanks to Maria. It was a really wonderful tour, and, and what a great way to end the series as well. We just said it, but my God, it was a uh, it was it's fantastic, yeah, brilliant. Thank kind you of, so much, Maria. And um, you can all follow Maria's adventures at um, Heart Rome on Instagram and Twitter, or you can visit her website heartrome.com. Yes, uh, highly recommended. And obviously there's the two books that we mentioned earlier as well. (laughs) Very, very much recommend those. Um, But yeah, so that was our final episode of the season. As I said, as we said earlier, it's taken us through so many different places. Uh, I completely forgot about like the likes of Greenland. (laughs) (laughs) We've really been all over. Um, So we've got big plans, listener, for the the next season. Um, uh, We will be back. uh, you'll be pleased to know or hopefully you'll be pleased to know and um, uh, and yeah we'd like to know kind of where you'd like to see us go next so if you've got kind of any feedback on the season anywhere that you think you'd love us to visit or anyone that you'd love us to speak to do reach out so you can find us at DK Witness on all of the sort of social channels um, at DK Witness Books on TikTok even um, that's a secret um, uh, <laughs> And actually, uh, you can almost also email us travelguides at uk.dk.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback. We really, really hope you've been enjoying the season uh, as much as we've enjoyed recording it. Um, a huge thank you to all of our wonderful guests. Um, there's so, well, all 13 of you, there's so many today. <laughs> uh, and, um, and yeah, we, as I say, we will back, be back very soon. So check out all of those social channels for, for news of when we'll be coming back. And in the meantime, yeah, there's loads and loads of episodes to re-listen to. Uh, and let us know where, where we should go next. So, going to go all Roman here. Uh, <laughs> ciao from me. And ciao from me. And we shall see you very soon. Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker. It was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Bucket Recording. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Your support means so much to us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.